0: Ah, the great outdoors. Mosquitoes. Dangerous ravines. Lightning storms. Lions. Tigers. Hold on a second. I think we got off on the wrong track there. That's better. Let's try this again. Ah, the great outdoors in Virginia. Birds. Friendly forest critters. Lovely hikes that end in majestic views. Long walks on the beach, rocks to climb, trails to bike, caves to explore. The list goes on and on. In fact, it can be a little overwhelming to choose your outdoor activity when you live in a state with as much to offer as the Commonwealth of Virginia. That's why the July-August issue of VML's magazine, Virginia Town and City, featured plenty of ideas for outdoor recreation sent in from our readers. It also featured a wonderful article by accomplished outdoor enthusiast, blogger, and podcaster, Jessica Bowser. Her website, virginiaoutdooradventures.com, is a veritable treasure trove of information and advice for those interested in getting out there. In this episode of the VML Voice, the official podcast of the Virginia Municipal League, I'd like to share with you a completely tiger-free conversation with Jessica, in which we discuss all the great things Virginia's outdoors has to offer, and the best and safest ways to enjoy them. So let's dive in. Hello. Hey, Jessica. This is Rob. How you doing?
1: Good, Rob.
0: So the reason we're talking is because you wrote an absolutely wonderful article for our July-August issue. Um, I find myself wondering, though, if you ever get tired of people asking you about outdoor recreation when they find out what you do. Um, also, does it make you feel really guilty to do something inside? Like, do you have to put on a disguise to go to the movies on a sunny day?
1: That is a really interesting question. So, first of all, I really enjoy sharing this. If I didn't, I wouldn't have the podcast. And I encourage my listeners to send me messages on social media. I can be found on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or to email me directly um, at jessica at virginiaoutdooradventures.com, because I do want to hear from people. And I really feel like this experience is more than just me recording episodes and putting it out there for the world to consume. I feel like it's building community. Um, There's so many people living here in Virginia or very very close by who, who, Um, experience the outdoors in Virginia on a regular basis and who have that in common. Um, Anybody who spends a lot of time in the Virginia outdoors knows that you feel a connection to it. You you feel like there's a bond between you and nature and we want to share those experiences with other people. And there's a wonderful, wonderful community here in Virginia of outdoor adventurers. So um, I encourage folks to message me and ask me questions. I'm always happy to give recommendations for trails or small towns or activities, other things to do. Um, So yeah, so I do really enjoy that. And staying inside (laughs) is an interesting question. It's like a regular battle between me and my husband, because every now and then he wants to go to a movie and I can't, I can't even bring myself to do it. I can't stand it. (laughs) So I don't watch TV. I don't go to movies like I would Be much happier, even if we were just sitting outside on our deck, enjoying a glass of wine and listening to the birds and looking at the trees. I'd much prefer that over sitting in a dark movie theater any day.
0: Okay, but what was the last movie you saw in a movie theater?
1: Oh, Rob, I couldn't even tell you. (laughs) I have no idea. Um, I honestly don't know. It's been years.
0: I mean, you're just you're making George Clooney and Tom Cruise and, and all of them so sad right now.
1: Uh, yeah, well, they're going to be just fine, I think. <laughs> I think they'll get over it.
0: <laughs> they've made it this far without you. They'll make it the rest of the way. That's right. Um, so in your article, you asked the reader if they've considered, and I'm going to take a deep breath here, rock climbing, caving, kayaking, zip lining, stand-up paddle boarding, cross-country skiing, birding, mountain biking, surfing, stargazing, whitewater rafting, bike, packing, or foraging. Um, speaking for the low achievers in the audience, I just want to say I have not considered all of those things. Have you done all those things yourself in Virginia? And what's up with foraging? It sounds like something animals or castaways do when they get hungry.
1: Oh my gosh. So yes, I have done all of those things. And, you know, there's so many perks of doing this podcast. And one of them is I am constantly introduced to new activities, things that I didn't even know existed. Um, Caving is the perfect example of that. Like I knew that there were commercial caves here in Virginia, like Luray Caverns and Skyline Caverns. But I had no idea that there were grottos or groups of people who form clubs that go caving together and they go uh, exploring in places that other people don't normally go. These are not commercial caves. These are just wild outdoor places where people go exploring. Um, and so meeting folks who do these things um, but is both really exciting. But what I have found is that when people introduce me to an activity that they love, they are more than happy to share that activity with me. And they even want me to come visit them and visit the corner of the state that they live in and show me the, the places that they love and the activities that they love. And so I have have gotten to do all of these really cool things, and uh, it's just been a wonderful introduction. And you know, the thing with foraging, I thought that was especially interesting because I put a post up on Instagram and Facebook several months ago. Um, asking folks if they had any interest in a new podcast episode about foraging. And it just blew up. Like, I couldn't believe how many people said they were interested in that. And so um, I found a gentleman named Tim McWelch who... Um, actually offers these classes and he just recently offered one at sky meadow state park where he invited me to join and there were over 25 people who showed up on a rainy day it was pouring rain that day and 25 people still showed up to learn from him how to forage for wild edibles and i just thought that was so interesting so he's going to be um joining me on a future episode of virginia outdoor adventures to talk about um foraging and wild edibles so there seems to be a lot of interest in it.
0: So by inference, foraging is looking for things to eat in the woods.
1: That's correct.
0: Okay. Just making sure we're on the same page there. If you could only do one of those things, what would you do and what time of year would you do it?
1: You mean one of those activities? One of those activities, yeah,
0: exactly. Like, you know, you had oh to choose.
1: My. Okay. Oh my gosh. Um, I think it's gonna be a tie actually I'm wondering if anybody's listening to this can guess what I'm gonna say. <laughs> Um, So I I think it's kind of a tie between stargazing and birding. And I know that that's probably those are probably the two least physically demanding activities on that list. And usually I really enjoy some of the more physically demanding activities, but those two activities are two things that you can immerse yourself in and sort of get lost in the moment where other things maybe require a little more concentration, a little more effort. Stargazing is something you can, you know, roll your chair or your blanket out on, you know, on the lawn or wherever um, during the night and just sit and watch. And birding is also something that, um, you know, mentally you can sort of you're so tuned into the song and the movement and and what you're seeing and the behaviors um, that nothing else around you exists. It's like everything else sort of disappears. And so I really appreciate being able to just immerse yourself in the outdoor experience, um, because I think that that's really where um, we find that connection to nature.
0: What's your favorite time of year to go birding?
1: Well, the good thing about Virginia is there is no bad time. Um, The fall, there's a lot of my, well, fall and spring, we see migration. I like the fall migration, especially for birds of prey and raptors. Um, We have some really excellent hawk watches around the state. One of them is a Kipta Peak State Park on the tip Mm -hmm. of the eastern shore, which is really cool. They've built this really big, beautiful platform there. And volunteers and anybody who is interested can come to the platform and help count to these migrating raptors that are flying over. And what's so fascinating about fall migration is as these birds are coming south, they are coming down the East Coast and they find themselves basically funneled down the eastern shore. And when they get to the tip, um, many of them stop and rest or stop to feed before having to fly over the Chesapeake Bay to get to the rest of the mainland. So you have this massive concentration of all of these migrating birds, which is really, really cool. And then in the spring, of course, we have um, a lot of songbirds and warblers and you get to see a lot of color. But in winter, people don't think about birding in winter, but anybody who birds will tell you That winter is probably one of the best times to bird because you have all of the migrating waterfowl that are staying here for the winter. So, one of my favorite locations is Mason Neck State Park because there are tundra swans that are there. And tundra swans come from Alaska. There's a group of them that live up there. And every um, season, the group splits into three. Two of the groups go down the west coast. And one small group goes clear across the United States, stops in the Great Lakes area for a few days to a week, and then comes to Mesa Next State Park and, or in some of the areas around here. And that's where they stay for the winter. And it's just incredible to think that these birds have traveled all the way across the United States and they show up to the same area almost religiously every single every single year it's really neat
0: you're giving away all the bird secrets so your uh your favorite time of year then is fall winter and spring
1: yeah actually i would say that summer i mean i i love love summer um but you know summer is actually probably one of the more difficult times for outdoor recreation just because of the heat Mm. and the thunderstorms and the ticks and the mosquitoes Um, It can be a really intense, difficult time to be outside as far as the elements. Other elements like cold and rain and whatnot you can prepare for, but there's only so much you can do about heat. So I always encourage people to to think um, outside of the warmer times of the year and, and consider recreating in cooler times.
0: I hope you're enjoying my interview with Jessica Bowser, and I very much hope you're getting some inspiration for your own outdoor adventures. Before we get back to Jessica, however, I want to take a minute to thank the sponsors of the VML Voice, Virginia Housing and Dominion Energy. Thanks for your support. If your organization is interested in sponsoring this podcast, get in touch with me, Rob Bullington, at rbullington at vml.org. And now, back to Jessica and the Great Outdoors. How did you become passionate about exploring outdoors in general, and why Virginia specifically? And, and to be clear, I'm looking for like a colorful backstory here, like you were raised by wolves or David Attenborough was in the room when you were born and his narration was the first voice you heard.
1: I wish I had a story that was that exciting. But the real story is that I was fortunate enough to grow up in uh, in a neighborhood that had a lot of outdoor space and a lot of trees. Um, in fact, the house that I grew up in had a really cool backyard with this big ravine that dropped down into what they called metro parks. And so I got to experience wildlife coming through the yard constantly, whether it was wild turkeys or owls or fox or skunk. Um, And I just had the opportunity to grow up in the outdoors. And so that's really where my connection happened at a very early age. And then I just carried that with me into adulthood. But it really wasn't until I was a young adult and had moved to Virginia to take a job teaching fourth grade in Fairfax County Public Schools that I really took an interest in what was here in Virginia and got really into like formally hiking and doing more formal outdoor activities. Before that, I had never even owned a pair of hiking boots. And then when I moved here, some of the other teachers that I was working with said, oh, you really need to go to Shenandoah National Park. It's not that far from here. Well, I had never even heard of it. So um, we went up there one weekend and I just fell in love. And that's pretty much been um, that's been the story ever since. That's still my favorite place in Virginia, even though there's many, many amazing places all around the, all around Virginia. I have a real connection um, to the Virginia Outdoors and specifically Shenandoah National Park. But it's been um, a great honor to get all around the state. Um, Back in 2015, I was participating in a leadership program that took place in a different location around the state every month. And so I got to visit places that I had been teaching in the Virginia fourth grade social studies curriculum. So I would pass signs on the highway for different Virginia state parks or different historical landmarks or different natural features such as natural tunnel for example and I started building time into my schedule so that I could stop and explore those places and the teacher in me really wanted to share that with everybody so I would put it on social media and not just tell people why this place was so amazing but how they could experience those places themselves and pretty soon people started encouraging me to write a book or start a blog or do something like that and of course I thought who has time but then The pandemic hit, and suddenly I had all this time on my hands, and so I launched Virginia Outdoor Adventures podcast to share those experiences and encourage other people to experience the Virginia outdoors.
0: So you just mentioned the first pair of hiking boots, and we're going to get back to the boots themselves here in a minute. But first, um, not to brag on your accomplishments, um, you are a Virginia State Parks master hiker. What does that mean?
1: So Virginia State Parks has this wonderful program called Trail Quest, and it's a challenge that they created to encourage people to visit parks all around the state. Most people know where the closest Virginia State Park is to their house, but they don't necessarily know um, what else is out there. We now have 41 Virginia State Parks. And so Trail Quest is a way to um, expose people to other parks by encouraging them to visit. And the way that they do that is you sign up for Trail Quest on their website and then as you visit new state parks. You go back to the website and you enter that information, like the park that you visited and the date you visited. And then Virginia State Parks will mail participants pins for um, accomplishing a certain number of visits. So you get a pin after your first state park visit, and then you get another one after five parks, 10 parks, 20 parks. And then when you have visited all the Virginia State Parks, you get the coveted master hiker pin. And um, also you get a certificate it's the master hiker certificate that is presented to you by a ranger at a park of your choice. And then, of course, they take pictures and it goes up on social media and they make a big to do about it. And it's really cool. So um, I started Trail Quest back in 2015. And um, it took me until 2020 to complete Trail Quest, partially because the pandemic interrupted um, the last few parks that we had to visit. But I was also taking my time. There are quite a few people who finish Trail Quest in a year or less. Um, There are, you know, sometimes there are clusters of state parks that are close together that people can visit more than one in a day. But for me personally, I really wanted to experience every park in its entirety. And so I would dedicate a day or sometimes multiple days to every park that I visited, especially if it was in um, an area of the state that was far from Northern Virginia where I live, where I didn't know if I would be back anytime soon.
0: So the designation Master Hiker is just another way of saying hiking nerd?
1: Yes, (laughs) sure. I'll I'll accept that title. (laughs) Yeah, I mean that in the
0: nicest possible way. Something you touched on in your article, and I'm really glad you did, is that some of the more popular destinations for outdoor activity in Virginia, like White Oak Canyon or McAfee Knob, um, can get really crowded, particularly at peak times of the year. And you write, and I like this, the reality may be that your visit starts with full parking lots, lines of people on the trail, and at the pit toilets, and maybe it winds up with crowds at waterfalls and overlooks. So what exactly is the etiquette of parking at trailheads and other popular locations, and what do you do when the official parking lot is full and you've arrived
1: there? Gosh, I really wish there was official etiquette on this. In fact, anybody who's listening, I would say maybe somebody needs to start that, because I think there probably should be. But generally speaking, if you arrive at a parking lot and it's full, then it's time to go somewhere else. It's not time to try to park off trail or you know in the, on the shoulder of the road. Um, there have been some really serious safety issues that have happened over the years where people parking in the wrong place have, have caused big problems. Um, I'm thinking specifically of McAfee Knob. And anybody who has parked there before understands that you have to cross the highway to get from the parking lot to the trailhead. And because it's mountainous, it's, Uh, it's near a sharp turn. And so cars are coming barreling down this turn on the mountain um, right into the area where people have to cross. And so if you have people who are parking on the road, uh, it's going to cause a potential hazard for the drivers on the road, but also it creates a visual hazard where the driver and the hikers can't see each other. Um, So it really does become a problem. Not to mention the fact that you could be parking on um, areas that are already being impacted by a large number of foot or a large amount of foot traffic. Now you've got vehicles parking on plants and in, you know, in areas where those, Um, that greenery and that wildlife is not going to be able to grow back. So there's a lot of considerations um, there. So if you pull up to a parking lot and it's full, please think about going somewhere else and don't wait until you show up to the parking lot and realize that it's full. Do your homework in advance and know how popular is this location? Um, Is it going to fill up? How many parking spaces are there? If this is something like McAfee knob or white Oak Canyon, you you have to assume that weekends are going to be packed Um, certain seasons like spring and fall are going to be packed. Um, So if you can, if you can either get there super early before the crowds show up, or if you can um, choose to go in the off season or on a weekday, uh, not only is that going to be better for everybody, but you're going to have a much better experience yourself because you're not going to feel like there are people all over the place around you.
0: Okay, but like, if you've got a bunch of people with you and there's a Mini Cooper there, like you could just sort of pick it up and move it off in the woods a little bit. That'd be okay, right?
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> ah, man.
0: I understand your point. There's a moral issue at play here, so I'll try to avoid doing that in the future. I also really appreciated your discussion of alternatives to buying expensive new gear. Getting back to those that first pair of hiking boots that you were talking about, you you suggest renting from outfitters, um, looking for used gear, and the like. And those strategies aside, what's your opinion of outdoor gear as an industry? I mean, on the one hand, everything seems really, really expensive, like suspiciously so. Um, on the other hand, this is supposed to be rugged, long-lasting equipment that's supposed to get you out of tough situations. So maybe it should cost a lot. What are your experiences and what do you think people should look out for when considering an expensive purchase?
1: Well, there's a, a wide range of gear and how well it's made, whether or not it's made to last. Um, My experience has been that if something is really well made, it will last. And I will think about whether or not it's worth paying the extra money for it. But, But pretty much anything, it doesn't even matter what it is, you can still find it used. I mean, there's, there's used clothing, places and there's um, used gear places that you can go and you know just look like you never know what you might find there's so many resale um, outdoor gear resale shops that are popping up too and honestly people buy gear all the time with the best intentions of using it and then it never gets used and they sell it or give it away in brand new condition I mean think about bikes how many people buy bikes and then never ride them and then it's time to move or they're cleaning out their garage and they're like you know what I don't know why I ever bought this it's time to get rid of it and then you can get a brand new bike for a fraction of the cost so it's always worth the time to look for it plus we want to reduce our environmental footprint right like if we love the outdoors and we want to conserve it and we want that to be there for generations we have to think about consumerism and the impact that that has on the environment i was just having a conversation earlier today with a friend of mine who's in the fashion industry and she promotes um, consignment and using, you know, one basic piece of clothing to make multiple different kinds of outfits. And we were talking about what the best way is to dispose of clothing, whether you should be giving it to a consignment shop or whether you should be burning it or like what really is the best way to do it. And we had a really long conversation about how most clothes that you give away, if um, a charity or whoever, it, you know, ends up with that uh, used clothing can't sell it or can't, you know, repurpose it. They end up throwing it in the trash, and then it ends up in a landfill. Um, and a lot of our clothing today is synthetics, and it has chemicals and other harmful things in it. And so it's, you know, breaking down in the landfills is creating methane gas. Um, and thirty, I think it's thirty-two percent of methane gas comes from clothing. It's really one of the biggest polluters uh, in North America right now. So it's a very serious problem. So really think about what the end game. This here. Like if it's worth it to you to spend the extra money and have something for a really long time, then maybe it's worth it. But I would always start with trying to find something used first.
0: In your article, you offer the advice that to avoid dehydration, you should drink water at a rate of one quart per hour, eat salty snacks and avoid sugar. But dehydration concerns aside, just personally, are you a chocolate in your trail mix or anti-chocolate in your trail mix kind of person?
1: Uh, as long as it's not too hot outside, I am like 90% <laughs> dark chocolate mm. all the way. Um, I, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm a little addicted to it. I'm also like a super healthy eater. So I'm really careful about what I eat. And I, I don't overdo it. But if I am going to eat chocolate, it's not the sugary milk chocolate garbage. It's like the 90% dark chocolate.
0: <laughs> so you don't watch movies. You don't eat garbage chocolate. You are uh, a master hiker. What else should people know about you? How can they uh, find out what you're doing and, and if they're so inclined to, to help you support your endeavors?
1: Well, the best way to reach me and the podcast is on the website, which is virginiaoutdooradventures.com. From there, you can browse through all the episodes and you can click directly to your favorite player, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or something else. It's available on all podcast players. And then you can also connect with me and follow the show on social media. On Instagram, I'm at Virginia Outdoor Adventures. And Facebook and Twitter, it's V-A-O-A Podcast
0: okay we're close to the end of my interview with jessica and i know i promised at the beginning of this episode of the vml voice that it would be entirely free of tigers and i'm going to keep that promise but i am going to sneak in a couple of cats Uh, i read online that you and your husband have two cats and that you take them to state park cabins when you spend your holidays there as a uh, as a fellow cat lover i mean i understand the urge to share the holidays with your feline friends but isn't it kind of disturbing for the cats
1: so uh, we definitely take their temperament and their feelings about the whole thing into mind I think it really depends on your cat and their willingness to travel and how stressed out they get traveling um, for our cats. We put them in a different carrier than what they would normally be put in if they're going to the vet. Uh-huh. So it's not the same experience and they're, they're pretty good in on the car ride. And once we get there and and open up the carrier, they are all over the cabin wanting to explore everything. And then usually one of the first things my husband does is he, especially if we have a fireplace, he makes a fire. And then, you know, before you know it, both of them are curled up in a Sleep next to the fire, so they really enjoy, you know, looking at the birds through the windows and sitting on our laps outside on the deck. Um, And so, yeah, we we like having them there, and they seem to like being there.
0: Jessica, you've been a fantastic sport, and I mean that literally. It's been really fun talking to you. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Rob.
0: Another positively perfect episode of the VML Voice has drawn to a close. Of course. We only scratched the surface of what Virginia has to offer in the way of outdoor recreation. I want to thank Jessica for some great advice on making the most of it all. So whether you choose to take your family, your friends, your dogs, or your cats, or just want to go it alone, get out there and enjoy Virginia's great outdoors. We'll be back again soon with another discussion about someone or something making the Commonwealth work for everyone. And now, here is this episode's VML Voice of Reason.
1: Here, Even if we were just sitting outside on our deck enjoying a glass of wine and listening to the birds and looking at the trees, I'd much prefer that over sitting in a dark movie theater any day.